And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of child, kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The word of the Lord. Amen, and you may be seated. Thank you. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we lift up our congregation to you, to a God who is sovereign and a God who is true, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who has complete control over the stars and the galaxies, but a God who is, knows our name, knows the words before we speak them. He knows the hairs on our head. And Father, in the midst of the valley, on the mountains, who give us pictures so clear, you are with us. You strengthen us, you guide us, you convict us, you open our eyes to the truth that is hidden in your word. And Father, we thank you. We confess how much we need you, how often we try to seize control and we make a hash of things. But Father, you are a compassionate and gracious Father. And you tenderly correct us and teach us, and you are making us like you. He who began a good work in you will perform it, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Father, we thank you. We lift up uh, those in the midst of our congregation. We especially pray right now for Daddy, as she is grieving the loss of her father. And as she is separated, as he is back home in Peru, I pray that you would be near her heart. May the hope of the gospel comfort her. Uh, and pray for Carrie as well. Lord, we thank you for bringing both of them into our congregation. And may we be faithful to love them and to weep with them as they weep. Father, you are a good God who cares for your children. We also lift up uh, Donna and Angelina and Noel Proya as they're struggling right now. Lord, strengthen their bodies, strengthen their heart. May you use their struggles right now to cause their hearts to trust you more. Father, we also pray for Andy Rossi as it appears that he will be coming home today. And Lord, we rejoice. We thank you for the faithful service of Emily and Jane and uh, all of those involved that have cared, and Vicki as well, have cared for Andy. Lord, they have been your servants uh, to love him well, and I pray that you would strengthen his body, his mind, his emotion, and his faith in you as he desires to be able to get back to normal, to be able to help others as you have helped him and saved him from his sin. Father, we love you and we thank you and pray that you would open our ears today to the word of God, that we may humble ourselves. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Andrew, if you could um, 
take the camera and I'm a little wonky. Uh, if you could center me up a little bit. Yes, wonky is a very theological word for those of you listening at home. Um, but we continue in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses, uh, three short verses, uh, thir- or four short verses, 14 through 16. Uh, Jesus is going through his uh, discourses and teaching what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in this world, he is teaching us the heart of the kingdom and what it means to follow Jesus. And we remember there are many crowds that are following Jesus, and the religious leaders are following Jesus not because they want to know what what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but because they're trying to entrap him and slip him up because Jesus is a threat to their power and their their influence here in this kingdom of this world. And I want you to realize that in the kingdoms of this world, as we look in social media and televisions and movies and um, music, um, that the kingdoms of this world value the intelligent, the rich, the, the beautiful, the popular, the privileged, those who have incredible co- physical abilities to either um, dunk a basketball or uh, score a touchdown or sing a beautiful song. They have a place of honor and they have a place of worth and they have a place of value in our society. But far too often over time when um, a person's mind begins to fade and their bank account uh, draws to very little and overdraws, when the crowds forget your name and your age chases away your beauty and time diminishes your skills, you lose value. And you become um, a faded memory of yesterday's news. However, um, that is not the way in the kingdom of God. So as we look and as we listen to Jesus of what Jesus says it is to have value and worth and dignity, I want you to begin to ask, what is your value in this world? Do you um, have a place in the kingdoms of this world when what you do well, you can no longer do that as well? We live very much in a world that is what have you done lately for me society. And like the flowers of the field, we are here today and gone tomorrow. Um, And how do we measure our worth according to a sliding scale in this world? What must we do to find worth and value and, and significance today and tomorrow and for all eternity? Or is it even possible? Is it chasing after the wind? Because like the carrot at the end of the stick, we'll never get it. We'll never be able to reach far enough to get the ring. In the gospel, the promise of the gospel is this. We have worth and we have value and we have dignity. Not because of what we do, because what have Christ has done. And if we belong to Jesus, his worth becomes our own. So I want you to know today, as we begin to do that, that my big idea this morning is only those with humble hearts 
and empty hands can enter Christ's kingdom. Only those with humble hearts and empty hands can enter Christ's kingdom. Therefore, what, would, what do we do? We bring our children to Jesus. We bring our children to Jesus, and we go to Jesus with childlike humility. Are only those who, with humble hearts and open hands, can enter Christ's kingdom. Therefore, we bring our children to Jesus, and we go to Jesus with childlike humility. I want to set the context a little bit this morning um, as we uh, read through this text, because we can very much, as we read through Scripture, uh, look at texts for 21st century minds, 21st century understandings and values, but these words in the first century would have been startling to Jesus, uh, uh, startling from Jesus, because children in the first century were not looked at with the romanticism notions that we have today. Today, we look at children and they become the center of our universe. They fill pictures of their every move, fills our social media, our schedules, their toys clutter our house and our living rooms, and their TV shows fill our televisions and our tablets. Not so in the first century. A child in the first century really only had worth based on the uh, relationship it had to the adult male in the home or its potential to be a, a productive member of the workforce. Children had very little value in the first century. You would be hard-pressed, many of the commentators say, to be able to find any contemporaries of Jesus who had such a radical teaching to call us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to be like children. The crowd would have been like, like children? Not only to be not seen and not heard, but to be like them. Uh, it, the world put no value on the children the way Jesus did. So this morning, as we come uh, to our text, we look at the first one where Jesus begins to teach us in verse 13 and 14 to bring our children to Jesus. Notice, if, if you read along with me, and they were bringing children to him that he, Jesus, might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus saw it, and he was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such is belongs the kingdom of heaven. One um, Bible background commentary that I came across really painted a vivid picture of what was happening here in this picture. Because often we have a picture of Jesus sitting under the shade of an oak tree, his long uh, flowing locks blowing in the breeze, and all these little children around him skipping and laughing and sitting on his lap, and he's telling them stories of uh, yesteryear, how he created rabbits and birds and deer and all the beautiful things. That's what we picture in our minds. Mind. But it was very different. Commentator said this, he said, infant mortality rates in the first century were incredibly high. Six in ten children did not live past the age of 15. 
And so you can picture a dirty peasant woman bringing her baby to Jesus. Many of these babies who would not even live out of their first year and bringing them to Jesus that he could touch them and bless them. Why? Because they desperately hoped that the touch of Jesus would be able to save them from the evil of this world because they knew they could not save their children from the death that was lurking around them. They knew they could not protect their children from such evil, and their hope was that this amazing miracle worker from Nazareth, who was able to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead, could save their children from evil. Yet as these hopeful parents clamor and bring their sweet babies to Jesus, they're rudely rebuked by the disciples. Just as back in Mark chapter 9, verses 38, where the disciples saw a a man that they did not know who was not following them, they rebuked this man for casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They were now rebuking these people, mothers and fathers and grandparents that were bringing their babies to Jesus. Mark doesn't say why. The disciples were rebuking the, uh, these parents and these people that were bringing them to Jesus. It could have been, and it was likely because of the low status that children would have had in the first century. Jesus has too much to do as it is. He does not have the time to waste it uh, blessing these uh, lowly babies. Or simply that the disciples liked to be in charge and they felt they were now the gatekeepers to Jesus and their elitism and their pride got in their way. And sadly, their attitude towards children, like so many other attitudes they had, was, in, was based on society's standards and values and not the values of the kingdom and the teaching of Jesus. And this is why, brothers and sisters, discipleship is so important because as Kevin Van Hooser in his book, Hears Endures, a pastor's guide to making disciples through the preaching of the word, he says this, we fail to recognize how culture forms us, not by making uh, not only by making explicit claims on, on a value judgment, but also subconsciously. Culture also forms us by catching us in its web, the electronic internet, if you will, he says, and by inculcating certain habits through common practices that shape our lives together. The disciples unwittingly had allowed culture's low view of children to, uh, and their elitist attitude to rebuke anyone who dared waste Jesus' ter- time with such lowly concerns as children. But notice verse 14. Jesus was indignant. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Jesus simply didn't roll his eyes and brood about his disciples' continual ignorance. He was aroused to anger and by this profound, his profound displeasure at the actions of their prideful ignorance. Jesus would not stand for anyone to hurt the very people that Jesus came to save. Spurgeon, over a hundred years ago, made these, um, these observations. He says, it must be a very great sin indeed to hinder anyone from coming to Christ. He is the only way of salvation for the wrath of God. Salvation from the terrible judgment that is due to sin. Um, who would dare keep the perishing from that way? to alter the signposts on the way to the city of refuge or to dig a trench across the road would have been an inhumane act deserving the sternest condemnation. Brothers and sisters, he who holds back a soul from Jesus, Spurgeon, I believe, rightfully observed, is the servant of Satan and is doing the most diabolical of all the devil's work. Jesus did not come to save those who considered themselves spiritually healthy. He didn't come to save the self-righteous, the powerful, and the privileged. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are helpless, powerless, and vulnerable. His compassion overflowed to those who were like sheep without a shepherd. His teachings threw open the gates of God for all humanity who will repent and believe. The disciples' failure to understand the heart of the kingdom allowed them to block access to the least of these, to the little ones, to the children from coming to Jesus. And their own, to Jesus, their only hope in life and death. And Jesus would not stand for it. Ocean Park, what moves a person to indignance reveals what they value and what is near and dear to their hearts. What makes you indignant? Far too often, we are indignant because of silly and petty reasons. People who don't respect us the way that we think we should be respected. People who don't meet our unrealistic and self-centered expectations. People who don't act like us, think like us, post on Facebook like we think they should, or behave like us. Most of the time, what makes, makes us indignant is more self-centered narcissism, and Jesus, quite frankly, hates it. But Jesus' indignant towards the disciples reveal his love for the helpless, for the powerless, and for the vulnerable, the essence of a child in the first century. Ocean Park, there are many people groups who this can apply to. The marginalized, the oppressed, the forgotten, the powerless. Jesus came to give life to the lowly and to the humble. Think about the book of Mark as we continue to go through. Who did Jesus come and who did he have fellowship and who did he have compassion towards? The religious leaders? No. He saved his most biting remarks for the religious self-righteous people. 
Jesus came and he touched the untouchable lepers. The bleeding woman who was ceremonially unclean. A tormented soul who spent day and night wailing and cutting himself in the tombs outside a city that had rejected him and feared him. Jesus pursued this man. It was a paralyzed man and his four friends that Jesus, not only seeing his great need to walk again, but his greatest need for forgiveness. In the crowds, he spent countless hours from sun up to sunrise, uh, uh, healing those who were oppressed by demons and suffering with diseases. Yet here in this interaction here in Mark chapter 10, we see how Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world. To Jesus, children are not nuisances. They're not distractions. They're not burdens. They're not little people that need to go away until they get their acts together. Jesus through the power, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brought us Psalm 127, verse 3, that my father read for us this morning. Children are a heritage, a blessing from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Do you believe that, Ocean Park? And if you do, we must bring our children to Jesus because there is nothing that our children need more than Jesus. However, like the disciples, we're far too easily influenced and far too readily and quickly embrace the values of the culture. We see all what people tell us on Facebook and in our circle groups and and all of these things that tell us what our children need, and we run from diet to activities and all of these things when their children's greatest need, like your need and my need, is that we need Jesus. We think that filling our child's weeknights with sports and dance and music, but not discipleship at the church and with his people is not important. We fill our Sunday or Saturdays with activities and recreations, but we're too tired from Saturdays to be and too distracted from the uh, previous night to make Sunday worship a priority. We come home so tired on weeknights, we just want to get the kids quiet and get them into bed so we can have a little Netflix and chill and a little peace. Instead of knowing and giving our children the peace of knowing Jesus through the reading of his word and teaching our children how to pray. The disciples hindered the children from going to Jesus because of pride. How often, if truth be told, that we hinder our children from going to Jesus because of apathy, misplaced priorities, and our own distracted attention span. Our children's greatest need is Jesus. Ocean Park, we must bring them to Jesus. We must evangelize our children with gospel-saturated homes. We must disciple our children with Bible-saturated homes. We must pray with our, uh, teach our children to pray with prayer-saturated homes. We must encourage them and bless them and challenge them to go to Jesus. 
We must absolutely model what a Christ-intoxicated life looks like by letting them see behind the scenes what a living for Jesus is in the natural ebb and flow of life. Ocean Park, this is not just for uh, parents who have little ones and children in their homes. This is for all of us. We have a corporate responsibility to bring all of the children that we have been blessed with in our uh, church. They are not distractions to be silenced or burdens to be endured, but they are blessings to be cherished. Are we reaching out to the children in our families, in our neighborhoods, who don't have parents that attend church? Are we modeling Christ-like behavior to the little eyes that are watching us? Are we advocating for the vulnerable and including at-risk children into our lives? This is one of the reasons why I love Wednesday nights. It's crazy. It's a bit wild. And for everybody who goes and attends, you know how exhausting it can be trying to herd the cats on Wednesday night Awana. But we realize this. We are building relationships with many of these children who have no other access to be able to come to church because their parents don't bring them. But we load up our minivans and our cars and we bring them to church where they hear the gospel and, um, and learn the gospel. And as almost equally important, they build relationships with men and women who love Jesus. And they are able to have a firsthand experience and knowledge and relationship with somebody who loves Jesus. That somebody, when years down the road, we think that kid hasn't been listening and hasn't been obeying and has been very difficult. They come to us and say, Pastor Chris, Miss Denise, I need your help. What should I do? And we can bring that child to the feet of Jesus and show them what peace with God through Christ means. Men, we have the responsibility to teach not only our own sons, but also the boys who don't have fathers in their homes, in their lives. We must teach them what it means to be a man who loves Jesus. Ladies, we have, you have the responsibility to teach not only your own daughters, but also the girls who don't have mothers in their lives or don't have mothers who love Jesus. They need to know what it means to be a woman who loves and follows Jesus. And this doesn't just happen when they're watching us, but we have to be deliberate to bring these children along and bring them into our lives, to be deliberate and to bring these little boys and little girls and help them learn what it means to be like Jesus. To open our lives and our homes and our days off to teaching them to follow Jesus or I promise you, the world will hinder them from following Jesus. We must remember that to teach our children to come to Jesus, knowing that only humble hearts and empty hands can enter Christ's kingdoms. Therefore, we go to the vulnerable and we bring our children to Jesus. And we ourselves go to Jesus with childlike humility. Jesus is teaching us here 
not only that we minister to the little children and value the little children, but we also adopt the attitude of littleness, the childlike humility, or we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Jesus took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. The natural inclination of the human heart is to be able to earn our place to uh, pay off our debts or our indebtedness to others. I'll make it even to you. Uh, I'll make it even with you, we often tell people. Or to prove that we belong or prove our worth to people around us. We think that if we, and this is in our relationship with the Lord, we think that if we can be righteous enough or follow the rules close enough, we can show Jesus that we are worthy of the kingdom of God and that his death was not in vain, that he died for a pretty good person. And we're going to show him that by living for Jesus or making it up to him. However, to enter the kingdom of God is to enter, like Jesus tells us in verse 15, like a child. Little children were not considered old enough that these children that were brought to Jesus, little children were not considered by the religious leaders old enough to understand the teaching of the law or to obey the law. Entrance into Christ's kingdom, brothers and sisters, is not through righteousness or good works or morality that we achieve by moral excellence or obedience to the law or following the list of rules that our own small society or faith or tradition gives us. Entering the kingdom of Jesus is coming to Jesus with humble trust and complete dependence on who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, and what Jesus has done, loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind, and loving his neighbor as himself, laying his life down to take the penalty for all who put their trust in him, and giving his righteousness to people who are unrighteous, or as Newton said, a wretch like me. Ocean Park, your place in God's kingdom is not secured by what you have done, by what, but by what Christ has done. I want to repeat that. The gospel tells us our value, our worth, our significance, our place in God's kingdom is not what we have done or what we will do or what we could do. It's what Christ has done at the cross by grace. And it is by faith that we are united to the cross, where on the cross, God the Father looks at Jesus and doesn't see Jesus' sin because Jesus had no sin. He sees your sin and my sin and all who are united by faith to the cross. And when we die and stand before the almighty judge of the universe, he doesn't see our sin. 
He doesn't see how we have all fall short of the glory of God. He sees Jesus' righteousness when we say, I belong to Jesus. That is the significance of my identity. Not what I have done but or do, but what Christ has done. Ocean Park, we need to remember that we need Jesus to have peace with God. There is therefore now no condemnation why? For those who are in Christ Jesus. When I was thinking through it this week, what does it mean to have childlike trust and humility and a child's um, propensity often to try to do things on their own? One of the first things that Anna was able to say when she was little, after the obligatory daddy and mom and dog and all those things, she, one of her first phrases was, all by myself. She wanted to do everything all by myself. And she was very deliberate. And she would proudly attempt to do something on her own and feel, realize quickly that her self-reliance was not sufficient to accomplish the task and would eventually break down in tears and come to me and Denise and say, Mommy, Daddy, I need your help. I remember one time she got in trouble. And uh, we don't even remember why she got in trouble, but I remember her coming to Denise with big tears in her eyes and saying, I can't help but sin. And Denise was faithful to bring her to Jesus, her only hope in life and death. How many times have we tried to fix, like a child, the mangled toy to hide the remnants of the cookie we we're not supposed to be eating, to be able to do it our own, and we have made a mess of it. And finally, we break down and say, Mommy or Daddy, help me. And we gently wipe away her tears and fix the problem and bring her into right relationship once again. This is a picture of what it is like to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. A childlike heart knows that they are unable to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus is able. A childlike heart realizes it offers nothing, but Jesus is enough. A childlike heart recognizes that on our own we are incomplete, but Jesus is complete. James Edwards, a uh, commentator that I came across this, this week, he puts it like this. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring, and whatever a child receives, he or she re receives by grace on the basis of sheer needy neediness rather than by any in, uh, inherent merit in him or herself. Little children are paradigmic, uh, paradigmatic disciples. For only empty hands can be filled. Ocean Park, have you gone to Jesus and said, I can't do it. I need your help. I need you. Have you come to Jesus and like the hymn writer said, nothing in my hand I bring. 
Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Fall I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That is the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of a childlike heart. Only when we come to Jesus with uh, childlike humility and open hands, knowing our neediness, can we, Jesus, fill us to the overflowing. For only empty hands, as Edward says, can be filled. And from that day on, and every day after knowing the sweetness and the mercy and the love of our Heavenly Father through Christ, we return to our Heavenly Father like a hungry child lifts up its bottle and says, Mommy, more please. Daddy, more please. We go to Jesus every day and say, I am empty. I am hungry. I am weak. Fill me with the nourishment of yourself. Have you gone to Jesus with a heart of a child, with childlike recognition that we have no standing and no right before God, with childlike helplessness that we don't have the ability and the resources or the merit to stand before God? Have we gone with childlike littleness, because we don't have the power or the prestige that the world values. Do we have a childlike heart like the psalmist in Psalm 51 to pray, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, not what I have done. My sins are many, but your mercy is more. Or as our call to worship in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I cannot clean myself. Jesus must clean me. In the end of Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, a humble, um, childlike heart, oh God, you will not despise. Ocean Park, whatever a child, a little child receives, they receive by grace alone. Jesus declares to us that only those who realize that they are helpless before an almighty God, a holy God. In him there is no shadow of turning, no sin, no um, transgression can earn a right standing before him. We need Jesus. Therefore, humble yourself before a merciful and a loving God. Confess your inability and Christ's ability. Confess your insufficiency and Christ's sufficiency. Confess that you are not good enough, strong enough, or powerful enough, but Jesus is strong and Jesus is kind. Go to, to the, uh, the Jesus and, uh, and recognize and confess that you cannot save yourself, but Jesus can. That you are sinful, but Jesus is righteous. That you are weak, but he is strong. The very confession of sin that we quoted today. I am quicksand, but you are a mountain, a rock. Only when we come to the end of ourselves like a child 
we will begin to find that Jesus is what we need and all we need. Spurgeon said it like this. He said this, Jesus is teaching us that we are to be nothing and that the less we are, the weaker we are, the better. For the less we have of self, the more room there is for his divine grace. Ocean Park, the kingdoms of this world are for the powerful, they're for the privileged, and the exceptional. People who can boast in what they have done, what they have accomplished, what they own, and what they perform. Not so with the kingdom of God where Christ reigns. However, in the kingdom of God, it's the humble, it's the weak, it's the marginalized, it's the forgotten. Like the child in the first century who had no power and had no place, may we humble ourselves, laying our worldly credentials aside and go to Jesus with childlike humility so that we may receive the grace that we need. Jesus, every day, knowing this, that only those with humble hearts and empty hands, like a child, can enter Christ's kingdom. May we bring our children to Jesus, and may we go to Jesus with childlike humility. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you that in the midst of a world that is turned upside down, in uncertainty, in confusion, in anger, in angst, in racism, and self-righteousness, and empty religion. We have the rock, which is Christ Jesus. But often, in our pride, in our selfishness, in our narcissism, we continue to build castles made of sand believing the lies of this world consciously and subconsciously. May we go to the rock humbly, without pretense, without conditions, without trying to use Jesus to get what we really want. But we may come to Christ with childlike humility, humble hearts, and open hands, that we may find the grace of God through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we may have peace with God. In his precious and holy name we pray. Amen.